Well, good morning all of you in Quakertown. So excited for you to join us. Uh, good morning to all of you joining us on the app or watching online. If you're kind of in the area next week as well, if you're in the Quakertown area, make sure you stop on by as well. And if you've never visited us before, make sure you come over and say hello to me and introduce yourself. Well, we're in the middle of a series that we are calling FaceTime. And the reality is, is that when we look at the Gospels, when we look at the four books in the Bible that were written about Jesus' life, we don't just read about Jesus' teachings or the stories that he's told, but we read about different encounters or conversations that he has with different individuals or groups of people. And what we've said in this series is that all of these encounters, whenever there's a relational encounter that Jesus has with someone, that person never leaves that conversation the same way. And so today we're going to be reading a conversation from the Bible that well, it's just awkward. I mean, it's really a weird conversation. It's one of these things that Jesus is talking to a woman, and this conversation feels weird. The Jesus that we have grown to know, the Jesus that we have grown to kind of be familiar with, doesn't seem to show up in this conversation. In fact, someone shows up of which we're like, that, that doesn't feel like Jesus. Like, what's going on here? But this conversation, if we were to peel back the layers and if we were to look at what's happening underneath, we would see that this conversation is actually breaking barriers. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the verses up on the screens or take your phone or tablet out and go to the Bible app. If you don't own a Bible, we have Bibles at our Calvary campuses over here in Souderton or in Quakertown. Grab one, take one, keep it. It's our gift to you. We believe that the Bible is filled with life-changing truth. So if you don't have one, grab one and take one. We're going to be looking at the book of Matthew, and we're going to be starting at verse 21 of Matthew 15. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. So the reality is when you kind of read that, if you, if you ever read anything from the Bible about Jesus before, that doesn't seem to line up with the Jesus of the rest of the Bible. You kind of read that and you're like, what just happened there? That was awkward. And before we kind of dive into what occurs, we need to kind of look at the background of the story. We need to kind of look at the setting of the story and what's going on. The setting of the story is this. Jesus is in Tyre and Sidon. This is a Gentile territory. Gentile was the word that was used for those who were not Jewish. And so this is the only time we see in Jesus' ministry life, the only time we see it written down, 
where he's in an exclusively Gentile territory. He's in areas that are kind of mixed at different times, and he's in areas where there's, but he is in an exclusively Gentile territory, and this is the only time we see that. But he's not just in a Gentile territory. He's in Tyre and Sidon. Josephus, who is an ancient historian, he was a contemporary during the times of Jesus, he writes about the people of Tyre and Sidon, and he says that these people have the most ill feelings towards the Jews. There is no love lost between them. In fact, he goes back all the way to when the Israelites crossed into the promised land. It starts all the way back then. And throughout the Old Testament, Tyre and Sidon is looked at as a city of enemies of Israel. And it's looked at as a city that is an example of sin. This is where Jesus withdraws to. This is where he goes. And what happens when he withdraws there is we don't really know why he went there. We don't know if he was kind of tired from talking to the religious leaders. We don't know if he just needed a break. We don't know if he wanted to go somewhere where he wouldn't be as recognizable, if he wanted to train the disciples without interruptions. We don't know why he went there. He just chose to go to this Gentile territory. And as he's there, as he withdraws, he is interrupted by a Canaanite woman. In Mark, we read that she is not just used in a broad sense Canaanite woman, she is a Greek a Syrophoenician woman. She is of this area. She is one of the people from this area of Tyre and Sidon. She is of a resented class. And she interrupts Jesus with a bold declaration. She interrupts Jesus with a bold declaration. And she cries out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And when she cries this out, she is crying out using a title that was reserved for the, for the chosen one, for, for the promised one, for the one, the Messiah, the one who would deliver the people of Israel. When she cries out this title, she assigns an identity marker onto Jesus. In just a few chapters, we would have Peter proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. The woman assigns this identity marker to Jesus before he does. But not only does she make this bold declaration of who Jesus is, she claims the benefit of that identity when she cries out, have mercy on me. You are Lord, son of David. You have the authority to have mercy on me and heal my daughter. And she claims this benefit and asks him for it. There's only one problem. What right does she have to make this bold declaration? What right does she have to make this bold claim to the benefit of the identity of Jesus. She does not. She enters into the story as someone of the wrong gender. She enters into the story of someone of the wrong religion, as someone of the wrong ethnicity. There are barriers all around her. What gives her the motivation to make such a bold and noble claim of audacity to this person she cries out as Lord? What is fueling her to make this claim? Well, she has a problem. 
She has a problem. And I think sometimes when I, when I read from the Bible, uh, what occurs sometimes is when I read from the Bible, I kind of distance myself from the heart of the people that I'm reading about. You know, I don't know if it's because these people existed so many years before or because it, it, sometimes they're really short, the stories, or, or maybe I'm just not familiar with what they're going through. But a lot of times I distance myself from the heart and the emotions of the people in the story. This woman does not have a problem. She has a crisis. Her daughter is suffering terribly. This is the kind of crisis that threatens to break the heart. This is the kind of crisis that, that causes your stomach to just churn and, and to feel sick, that causes you to lose your appetite. This is the kind of crisis that causes you to stay up at night, looking out the window, wondering how it's going to be fixed. This is a crippling crisis that impacts the one that you wanted to protect, that one that you loved, the one that you hoped nothing would ever happen to. This is that kind of crisis. And it is in the midst of this crisis that she approaches Jesus and makes this bold declaration and this bold request. And what happens when she does that? Well, what happens next is uncomfortable. It's awkward. It doesn't make sense. What happens next is uncomfortable as readers reading it so far later in time. But what we will see is as we strip it down and we begin to look at Jesus' response, we realize that he reveals the hearts of the characters in the story in his response. And we move from a bold declaration to an awkward revelation. Move from a bold declaration to an awkward revelation. And there's a progression of responses that occur. And so here's this woman. She makes this bold cry and she says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And what does Jesus do? Nothing. Nothing. He doesn't even say a word. Jesus is silent. And I cannot help but be reminded of times when some of us have faced a crisis and we cry out to God, God, help me. God, help me. Lord, help me. Have mercy. Have mercy. And the reply is silence. And God is silent. In that moment, what occurs? You see, for the woman, what occurs is that she presses forward and she perseveres with her faith because she is focused on the one she's approaching, not the circumstances around her. She presses forward in the midst of the silence, in the midst of adversity, actually, because what occurs when she makes this request and Jesus is silent, there's actually this side conversation that happens. There's this side conversation that happens between Jesus and the disciples. And in this side conversation, the hearts of the disciples are actually revealed. 
Jesus has this, this side conversation. The disciples come, come up to Jesus and they're like, send her away. She's bothering us. Shush her up. Send her away. And, and I really just wrestle in my mind. I'm like, would they have had that reaction if it was one of them? If one of them had a child who was going through what this woman's child was going through, would they say the same thing? Would they look at Jesus and say, send Peter away? Send James away. Send John away. Hush them up. They're bothering us. Why would they do that to her? She's not one of them. She's not one of them. In fact, she is of a resented people. And their hearts are revealed in their response. Their desire for comfort cries out to Jesus and urges him to silence her desperate heart. And so Jesus says something, and, and when he says it, he reels them in. He reels them in for an exposure of their hearts. He says in verse 24, he says, He's talking to the disciples. He says, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And every disciple there would have been like, preach it, Jesus. Amen, Jesus. Because Jesus is actually telling truth. That was his mission and is what they understood. But the problem is that disciples are only focused on the starting line of the race. They ignore the finish line. Once Jesus has died, once he has resurrected and walked out of that tomb alive and eternally victorious, everything has changed. And there's a man named Paul who writes a letter to a, a church in Rome, and he writes of this progression. He writes of this truth. He says in Romans 1:16, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile." There's a progression, the first, then first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. But what was the result? Who is salvation brought to? Everyone. Everyone. And the disciples are not focusing on the progression. They're focused on the starting line, not the finish line. And what ends up happening is that Jesus is opening up a light onto their heart. In fact, in the Mark's account, he says to the woman, first, let the children eat. First, let the children eat. He is painting that progression to them. And so this side conversation is happening, and what ends up happening is that finally the woman just flings herself on her knees in front of Jesus, and she just cries out, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. She's gone to the point where she has no more words. She cannot describe what the cry of her heart is trying to say. She is at that point of complete brokenness. She has nothing else to say but, Lord, help me. Help me. 
It is a complete and utter act of desperation. But even then, we are stunned. We are stunned by Jesus' response. If we've ever read the Bible, if we've ever read anything about Jesus, this response should stun you. But what seems like an inappropriate response is actually the most revealing of them all. The words that Jesus uses echoes the hearts of the Jewish people around him, including his disciples. You see, the word dog actually in that time and that culture was actually a racial term. It was actually what the Jewish people would have called those Gentiles. And Jesus does something interesting. He says something that they would have understood. He says something that they would have agreed with. He says something that kind of makes sense in their culture. But if you really look at what Jesus says, he twists it just a bit. You see, at that time, dogs were not like dogs today. They weren't really domesticated for the most part. They were the scavengers of the street. They were scoundrels. But there were exceptions when there were some household dogs. The word that Jesus uses actually implies a little dog, a puppy. The kind of puppy that would be sitting on a master's lap in his home. He uses just a little, little twist of the word. But in using that twist of the word, he brings this woman into the household. He brings her into the household. And she seizes, she seizes on that hope. And her reply is one of the most dynamic rebuttals of all history. And in that reply, she exposes the heart of Jesus. In her reply, she expresses her perseverance of faith. But what is her faith in? Her faith is not in her own faith. Her faith is not in her skills. Her faith is not in her ability to debate or somehow convince Jesus to do this. Her faith is in the heart of the one she's approaching. Her faith is in the character of the master. Her faith is understanding the heart of the declaration that she proclaimed at the beginning of the story. She gave him an identity marker. That identity marker came with a certain character, and her faith was in that heart. And she perseveres with her faith. She does not refute or reject the title of dog, but in bold humility, she comes before Jesus for the one that she loves. And in this apparent awkward progression of response, Jesus reveals the hearts of those around him. In this awkward response, he reveals the weaknesses of the hearts of his disciples, and he reveals the strengths of the heart of the woman. And ultimately, he reveals the heartbeat of his own heart. Because what does he end up doing? He heals the daughter. He heals the daughter. He grants this woman her request. But he doesn't just do that. Jesus ends up in a shocking 
celebration, a shocking celebration. We had this bold declaration of who Jesus was and this claim to the benefit of that declaration. We have this awkward revelation of these hearts of the disciples and and the woman and Jesus' heart as well. And we end up in this shocking celebration. You see, the woman enters the story as a character of disgust, as a character of scorn, as a character of resentment. She leaves the story as a character of honor. Jesus celebrates a person's faith only two times in the book of Matthew. This woman and also a Roman centurion, another Gentile. And the tragic irony of that is huge. Just a few chapters before, Jesus is in Nazareth, his hometown, the people who know him best. He's amongst his own people, the people he was promised to. And the Bible tells us that he could do very few miracles because they did not have any faith. The ones who he was sent to, the very ones he was sent to, who knew him best, his home, did not have faith. But this woman, who symbolized the resented people, who symbolized the people that we try to get away, she is the one celebrated for her faith. This woman faces a life of boundaries. She faces a life of barriers. There is barriers of gender. There is barriers of ethnicity. There's barriers of religion. And she is the one whom Jesus celebrates. Jesus flips the script and breaks down the barriers. He flips the script and breaks down the barriers. Right before this, uh, there's an encounter between Jesus and, and the religious leaders in Jerusalem before Jesus leaves to Tyre and Sidon. And Mark tells us that in this argument uh, with these religious leaders, Jesus declares all food clean. And so what happens was in the religious traditions of the of the, of the Jewish people, in the law of the Jewish people, there were certain foods that were clean and certain foods that were unclean. And Mark tells us that Jesus breaks down the barriers in this conversation, this debate that he has with those religious leaders. He breaks down the barriers of clean and unclean food. When he enters into this conversation with this woman, he breaks down the barriers of clean and unclean people. And being clean is only related to him not to ethnicity, not to being Jewish, not to anything else. It is only through him. This story is a story of great faith in regards to the woman, but it's also a story of Jesus crossing boundaries. He crosses boundaries. Because here's what happens next. Mark tells us that, that Jesus then goes on. He goes to the Decapolis, which is, is a group of 10 cities that were just strictly like this Gentile territory. He's still in this Gentile territory on this trip. He heals this uh, deaf and mute man. And then what he does next is he does a miracle he's already done. He feeds thousands of people. He feeds the 4,000. And he does a miracle and he provides them bread to eat. 
He provides them bread to eat. He's already done this once in the Jewish territory. He does it again in a Gentile territory, which we can only assume was a crowd filled with Gentiles as well. And this goes back to the very beginning. If we look at Genesis chapter 12, when when God calls a man named Abram, who later becomes a man named Abraham, the father of all Israel, he promises a blessing unto Abraham. But what he says is, through this blessing, all people will be blessed. From the very beginning was this progression. And in these few chapters in Matthew, we capture a snapshot of this progression. We capture a snapshot of how through the people of Israel, because of Jesus, all people will be blessed. The truth of Romans 1.16 will occur. And the Canaanite woman gets it, and she perseveres in her faith because she knows the heart of who she claims Jesus to be. And as a result of her great faith, Jesus celebrates her. He celebrates her. He enters into a shocking celebration. And in that celebration, he breaks down the barriers. In that celebration, he breaks down the barriers. Jesus, the very embodiment of the gospel, offers himself as a gift, a gift based on grace, not works. It transcends all boundaries and is offered to everyone. It is a life-changing gift, for the gospel is not simply this intellectual agreement with this minimum kind of Christian doctrine or belief that somehow will end up getting us into heaven one day. That is not the end of the gospel. The gospel changes our lives now. It changes us from the inside out. It tears down and crosses the boundaries, and it is offered to all. It tears down the barriers that are formed in our hearts by our heart's desire for sin. It tears down the barriers based on our reactions to race or to gender or to wealth or to whatever demographic you want to put. It tears down the barriers and unites under Jesus. And here's the interesting thing about all of that. What Jesus spoke was truth. He was sent to the people of Israel. In fact, if we look at the rest of of our reading of Jesus in his life, we see that Jesus basically spends the rest of his time ministering until the people of Israel. He spends his time basically in Jewish territory. But he breaks down the barriers. So how does he reach the Gentiles? How does he reach the rest of the world? How does he reach the people he desires? Through his disciples. Through the very people who said, send that woman away. Through the very people that said, hush her up. Through the very people that said, get rid of her. Through those very people, Jesus continues the mission that he started. He uses the church to reach the world. And he calls the church to not only continue the mission that Jesus started, but to live the life that he lived. He calls us to live as he lived, crossing boundaries and tearing down barriers to reach people with the gospel so that lives can be changed, so that the bondage of sin can be broken, 
so that people could be saved. He calls us to continue the mission that Jesus started, to live as he lived, tearing down barriers so that we could reach as many people with the gospel as we can. And it'd be very easy for me right now to say, so live as Jesus lived. Now let us pray. Live as Jesus lived. Now you figure out. Live as Jesus lived, breaking down the barriers, crossing boundaries to reach people with the gospel. I'll leave that between you and God. I don't want to do that. I kind of want to give you some just practical advice, just some tips, just some things that we can all work on together. We need to live. The first letter of live is L. Look around. Look around. The reality is, is we walk around kind of seeing what we want to see in life. And sometimes we don't see the different people around us who are different than us. Maybe they come from different backgrounds. Maybe they come from different financial situations. Maybe they're a different age. Maybe they're a different ethnicity. But they're all around us. And here's the deal. You can't learn from someone if you don't see them. Look around. You are surrounded by people who need to hear the gospel. You are surrounded by people who need to have their lives changed by Jesus. Look around. I invite others. Invite others. I don't know if you're like this, but this is how I am sometimes. I create a cocoon that I live in. And in this cocoon, the people who are in it, that I allow in it, usually look like me. They talk like me. They act like me. Sometimes I hope they root for the same football team as me. Failing on that one. But I make a cocoon. When you look at your dinner table and the people who have been over to your dinner table, and you look around prior to that, is there anyone missing? Is there anyone missing from a cup of coffee that you have? Is there anyone from a different age group that could be at that dinner table? Is there someone from a different ethnicity that could be at that table? I'm not saying to kind of look for just a specific type of person and just, I'm just saying just look around and look at yourself and then invite whoever is missing. Break out of the cocoon so we can reach more people with the gospel. Invite others. V, visit someone. Visit someone. Way different from what I just asked you to do. Way different from what I just asked you to do. It's one thing to invite someone over to your home for a meal and just invite them over. It's another thing to go to their home turf. Way different. So some of you, maybe you grew up in this area. Maybe this is kind of all you've known. Well, we have different opportunities for you. For some of you, life is very different from life from someone who lives in Philadelphia. And we have an urban priority, and we partner with different organizations in Philadelphia. Why don't you just go? Volunteer, but don't just volunteer. Our desire is not for you just to go and volunteer and then leave. Our desire is for you to, to develop relationships 
And here's one opportunity I think that you can do. There's an organization called Timoteo. They do flag football and they do basketball. And they're a discipleship ministry. They're not a sports ministry. They're a discipleship ministry. And they were taking these young men and taking them out of these, these stories of crisis and just brokenness. And they are discipling these young men. But you know what they need? They need people cheering them on when they're playing. They could use someone just in their corner cheering them on when they're playing football or cheering them on when they're playing basketball, just showing that someone actually cares about them, that someone actually believes in them. You know what? Maybe you can't get to Philadelphia. Maybe that's not a possibility for you. You know what? Just drive a few minutes north on 309 to Quakertown and go into the skate park and start working with freefall where you have a bunch of parentless and directionless teenagers. And Freefall's mission is to provide presence and purpose. Give them purpose in their lives and surround them with people who are going to love them and care about them. Maybe you need to do that. But maybe you're here and you're like, well, actually, that's what I do. Actually, I grew up, I can go on those ramps myself. Actually, I grew up in the city. Well, then that's not who I want you to visit. You know what? There's a group of people that are a part of Calvary Church that can no longer ever come into this building because life has just progressed to the point where it's too difficult to get here. Maybe you need to go and visit someone in Souderton Home or visit someone in Rock Hill. Visit someone who can't get out. Maybe you're a little younger and you need to learn from someone older and wiser. And you need to just love on someone. Visit someone different. That's all I ask. Visit someone different. You figure out what that means. And then finally, E, engage in conversation. Engage in conversation. Engaging in conversation starts with listening. It starts with listening. Listen to that person's story. Listen to that person's heart. Listen to who they are. Listen and learn. And I ask you to engage in conversation, not debate. Conversation unites us. Unfortunately, debate sometimes tears us apart. Engage in conversation. Live. L-I-V-E, live, look around, invite others, visit someone, engage in conversation, live so that others may live. Live so that people will hear the gospel and that the shackles of sin will be removed and that they would be freed and that their lives will be changed and that they will live. Let's be that church that continues what Jesus started as we live like Jesus lived, breaking down barriers to reach everyone with the gospel. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you that your love is fiercely powerful. 
And that no matter what walls we put up as a culture or our personal selves or as a society, you break through those walls to reach the ones that you desire and that you love. And so we ask you to give us the same courage. That you would open our eyes to those around us that need to hear the gospel. That you would open our eyes around us that need to be loved by us. That you would give us the courage to live. Lord, we ask you to do something amazing and that you would change the lives around us, that you would just allow the gospel to go throughout our communities and throughout our region and that something awesome will happen. Lord, we ask you that you would just show up in a great way and allow us to be a part of it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.